0: Father in heaven, we thank you. We gather today freely, openly, carrying those scriptures in our hands, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And this freedom came at the cost of many lives that were fought many years ago. We thank you, Lord, that you we were on the winning side. We pray for our brothers and sisters across the world that aren't living in this freedom—the Middle East, North Africa, and Asia—or today as they as they meet in fear uncertainty lord they know that they have the certainty of jesus christ and his provision for them And so we pray for them and we thank you lord for this privilege that we can teach our children downstairs without fear lord we thank you thank you lord that that today we stand here forgiven because of what christ did for us and so now as we come to your word would you guide us and lead us teach us we pray in jesus name everybody said please be seated Encourage you to celebrate Remembrance Day somewhere, somehow. We don't want to forget that reality. Uh, I, I, you know, there's nothing glor- glorif- glor- glorious about war. We we understand that. So, but it's good to remember and to, to honor those and to remember those even today that serve in in, in uh, you know as police officers and emergency services, in the military. We're just thankful for the work they do to help our society and uh, each other. Thank you team. You know we're, we're really blessed to have some great musicians that serve together on the stage here and, uh, and technicians at the back and, and you understand New Life is kind of a church full of teams like this and, and last week actually after the service one of those teams gathered below us in the room. It was the team of the Children's Ministry volunteers, and what a fantastic team! If you'd like to join that team, welcome you to do that. A couple weeks before that, the Welcome Team met over here. We had a nice meal together, and and so this is part of part of New Life is coming to this. But but then the second step is joining one of these teams and being part of a kind of serving together. If if you you know Shauna showed up, you know the the, the day after the the team practice, she said, "Man, that was so much fun just practicing with that team. We had a great time together," and so. This is part of moving up and out is is being part of of a team at New Life, serving together, loving each other, supporting each other. That's just part of the of of who we are. So at New Life. One of the things that my wife and I have been a part of for many years is camp. And a few years ago we had a, a situation with, um, with 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 the cooks, you know. I mean with cooks, you know, it, it food, you don't really think about it until it's bad right you know but otherwise you know food is just sort of normal it's good well this this particular cook decided that that, that she would make this this dish called shipwreck casserole you know and uh, it looked like it sounded you know <laughs> uh, you know they it's sort of like you kind of throw everything into the pan together and uh, there was like cauliflower on top of tomato sauce with some pasta and mystery meat in there you know and it was it it, it you know it was Literally, you know, there's sometimes you know you look at a dish and it looks good and then you taste it, you're like, ooh, but this was like you looked at it and it tasted bad. You hadn't even put it in your mouth yet, you know, and, and it was just it was and so she puts out all these, you know, nine by thirteens or twelve by twenty-fours, whatever they are, full of this, you know, mystery, you know, horrific looking kind of dish. And of course, would, would you believe it? You know, none of the kids take very much and, and we were throwing lots into the garbage and, and this was like Thursday night. And so so Friday came, it was the end of camp. And, and usually at the end of camp, what they would do is you would have leftovers, right? So, so what does the cook do? She pulls out the shipwrecked casserole, right, and puts it out there. And we're like, no, don't, you know. And, and of course, you know, it just looks awful. I mean, these parents are never going to bring their kids back to camp. And they see what we're feeding them, you know, it was just horrific. And, and it tasted awful. It looked awful. She put it into the cooler thinking that she would get one more meal out of this thing, right? So <laughs> the cook went home for the weekend. And be, would you believe it? The shipwrecked casserole disappeared, you know. Even the bears wouldn't need it in the, in the bush, you know, like it was, it was that bad. You know, like, you know, a recipe is, is distinct. Now, as a bachelor, I didn't really understood this. I thought, you know, everything needed ketchup and, you know, and seasoned salt. But I, I married a cook, and I realized, oh, there are distinct flavors to food, right? And, and, and you can actually have a dish that is certain, you know, flavored spicy, flavored tomato, flavored cream sauce, whatever, you know. But when you kind of mix it all together, you get this mess. In Colossae, they were dealing with the potential of having a shipwrecked casserole in their spiritual experience. They had Christ, but they, you know, there, there were guys coming along, teachers, different people from different backgrounds. They were saying, yeah, you got Jesus, but let me tell you what else you need. And they were kind of throw into one big dish, one big goulash. And the danger was that they would end up with something which absolutely had no flavor and actually was incredibly distasteful. And so as we're dealing with the book of Colossians, written in the first century, written to a church in this this valley in Asia Minor, just down the road from Ephesus, which was kind of the major metropolitan area in in, in kind of the region. One of the guys from Ephesus uh, had come to Ephesus, had heard the gospel, took the gospel, the good news about Jesus, back to Colossae. And these people received the gospel. A church was established there. But then these people came in and were starting to suggest that they add some things to their recipes. And so Paul writes this book to warn them about shipwreck, Israel. And today in our passage, we're dealing with chapter 2, verses 8, but then verses 16 to 23, where he says, here's some threats that I want you to be aware of when it comes to being centered and focused on Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've been around, but we've been talking about the target. It's hunting season. And uh, God bless all you hunters that are here today and not hunting, because he's going to fill your freezer on Monday to Saturday, I promise you. (laughs) But here, here we want to stay focused on Jesus Christ. You know, you need to have the right thing in your target, the right, you know, whatever you're shooting at. It's whatever the tag you have, that's what you're shooting at. But uh, if if we're shooting at the wrong thing, and even in this passage, we're going to discover that sometimes people were shooting at the shadows. They weren't shooting at the actual object. He says, I want you guys to remain focused and centered On Jesus Christ. He is enough. He is all you need. The fullness of God dwells in him and the fullness of your life is found alone in Jesus Christ. You don't need anything else but what Jesus Christ can provide for you. And so in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Be careful. Be careful. That word captivate uh, is the word which would be, you know, to take hostages, to kidnap, uh, with, of course, usually the idea of enslavement. Don't let anyone enslave you into this way of thinking that's that's actually going backwards and not towards jesus christ don't let anyone captivate you through these deceitful philosophy that's according to human traditions maybe your translation has a different phrase you know the empty philosophy the vain kind of shadow chasing the reality is that we we all have messages in our life that we hear Come to faith in Christ, and that's what he talks about in verses 6 and 7. As you receive Christ, continue in Him, rooted in Him, built up, established in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. He's like, you know, you've received Jesus Christ. But the, the problem is, when we, even when we receive Jesus Christ, we have heard all these messages all our life, and now we have to reboot our mind. We have to delete that program and reprogram our minds to think like Jesus, like the Word of God, and, 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 and to have a different perspective on life. Paul the Apostle who's writing this letter was a devoted jew. I mean, you couldn't become any more Jewish than he was and and he was you know class doing everything that he needed to do he he had it all right, but then he Encounters the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden he's like man. I was all wrong How could I be so wrong and so committed to doing what's wrong so so on the wrong track? And and so literally he goes away for three years to the desert and he has to rethink everything that he's learned You brought something into your relationship with Jesus Christ from your past Things that were taught to you at school things that your parents taught you things that the religious tradition you grew up in taught you that you have to rethink and reprocess and and reasserting, is this actually biblical? Is this Christ-centered? Is this God-honoring? Is this true? We all have to do that. you turn on the TV. You log on to the internet. You're looking at social media. You're getting messages every day. And a lot of these messages aren't truth. They're contrary to truth. And you have to process this. And he's like, don't let anyone captivate you. What he says, is, you know, you've experienced this freedom in Jesus Christ. And in verses 19, he talks about their identity, the freedom you have in Christ, the fact that God's nailed your, your you know, all your sins to the cross, and, and, and you've been, you know, liberated, and you're walking in triumph in Jesus. But he's like, the reality is, don't let anyone drag you back into slavery with, with any of these traditions, these philosophies. It's dangerous. He describes it. Oh. They're according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world. That's a very difficult verse to translate. Books written about that verse, but that, that actually, that word there. But the, rea- the idea is kind of was the ABCs. You know, people had kind of, you know, diluted the, the, the world in, into different compartments, different ways of thinking. He's like, you know, just, you know, if you, if you have those right, you're okay. And, and Jesus Christ comes along and says, no, I am Lord over this. I am the creator. I'm the sustainer. Everything that, that is has a, is a result of me. So if you come to me, you have everything you need. But then these teachers are coming along and said, well, there's, there's Jesus, but you might need a little bit more of this, or you might need some of that. And we're, we're going to look at some of those things here. But before we get there, I want you to think about the philosophies of this world. Uh, A research study was done um, by Lifeway. They were doing some research. This is the the education arm of the Southern Baptist Church in the United States, and they were talking about, you know, uh, the book is called Nothing Less, Engaging Kids in a Lifetime of Faith. So They did their own research, and they compared it with national surveys in the United States to kind of find out, okay, how how do we raise our children to embrace Christianity and to walk in that faith? And and he talked about some of the surveys that have been done and the results. And, and, and this is, the page basically says this, Christians don't define the meaning of life all that differently than most Americans. It's an American survey. What's my purpose in life? And so they had this, this quote, this, this statement, you would agree or disagree. Enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. And 84% of Americans in the survey said, yeah, enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. 66% of the Christian surveyed agreed with that. Enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. You enjoy yourself and find fulfillment in life by pursuing the things you desire most. 86% of Americans said yeah. 72% of Christians said yes. You enjoy yourself and find fulfillment in life by pursuing the things you desire most. But this is the best one, I think. (laughs) To find yourself, look within yourself. 91% of Americans agreed. 76% of Christians agreed. To find yourself, look within yourself. That's a philosophy of this world. You can read a ton of books about that. They're in the popular, they're the bestseller list. You know, just harness your inner potential, right? Now, part of that is true. This is the danger of it. There there is something that God, I believe God's given us potential. But the thing is, you can't find it yourself. The potential is found when you get the target right on Jesus Christ. And then he unlocks your potential. You can't unlock your own potential. In fact, if you look within yourself, what you're going to find is a lot of darkness, <laughs> a lot of things that would depress you and drag you down. Because no matter how hard you try, you never quite measure up. But then you realize Jesus Christ measured up for me. It's it's, it's life changing. But the problem is, without Christ, you're always doomed to failure. Beware of those targets. So we jump ahead to verse 16. He goes into detail about some of these ideas. And sorry. Uh, before we get to verse 16, let, let me give you a few examples of deceitful philosophy or human traditions. Some people believe that money will solve all my problems. Money will solve all my problems. Now, go home and Google people that won the lottery and tell me if it worked for them. Go home and Google retired NFL players and see how they do after they retire from the NFL. Like a, a huge percentage of them declare bankruptcy within six years. Money will solve all my problems. A busy, overscheduled life is a full life. I should be doing more and more and more, and my kids should be doing more and more and more because a a full, satisfied person is a person that is hyper busy, overscheduled. That's a sign that you have achieved, you know, the, the the fullness of life. My work is who I am, and then you reach retirement or you get unemployed. And there's this huge void because all you lived for was work. Or suddenly you come home and you realize you have no relationship with your children or your spouse because all you lived for was work. Is that a philosophy that will deliver for you? I can relate to God on my own terms. This is the Canadian ideal. You know, I have my own spirituality. And God somehow fits in there when I want him to. When I want them to, and in the way I want them to, I, I kind of just build my own little game with, with God as part of it. And that's kind of the shipwreck casserole kind of idea, right? Like, I, I, I have God, but, but he, he serves my purposes, not the other way around. Now, as you look in the book of Colossians and you see how Christ is presented there, like, this is not an option. You can't define Christ by your own terms. God defines himself, and we respond to that definition or that revelation about God. My personal happiness is what comes first doesn't matter as long as i'm happy sometimes in your marriage you're not going to be happy (laughs) as a parent you're not going to be happy let's be honest in our jobs there are times we're not happy and if you just pursued happiness you would often find yourself jumping ship you know because you know things aren't, aren't going the way you want but sometimes we have to ride out the storms in in marriage in family at work at churches so that we can grow and learn to depend and target Jesus Christ in our lives. As long as I do more good things than bad things, God will accept me. You know, it's like you keep a little balance in your account. You know, it's, it's the people that, you know, party hard at Mardi Gras, and then they go and fast for the next 40 days before Easter, you know. It's like, yeah, well, as long as I do enough good things to overcome the, the, horrific, the horrific things I did, I'm, I'm okay. And, and God doesn't do that. That doesn't work with God. As long as I perform the right rituals and ceremonies, I can live however I want outside of that. Right? If you show up to Mass, take the sacrament, you're okay. If you, you know, follow whatever prescribed ritual that that you have agreed to do, I mean, you're okay. And and that's not what the Bible teaches. One, One of the ones I just wrote down this morning. There's nothing in life I can't do if I don't try hard enough. Right? People we tell our kids that, right? You can do anything. And you can't. Like, it's sorry. Like, we, have, we shouldn't lie to our kids, right? Let's be honest, right? I mean, like, I want to play in the NFL. Guess what? Missed your opportunity, Mike, you know. Too small. <laughs> too slow. Like, we can't do anything. I mean, Christ has a great plan for your life, and he will use your body size, your intellectual ability, your talents. I mean, he will use them for his glory, and, and, and you will find great enjoyment when you find the sweet spot that God's created you for. But you can't do anything. I can't have a baby, no matter how hard I try. It's not happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there are certain things that you got to just, you know, let, let's be realistic. But say, you know, God has a great plan for your life, kids. But you can't do anything. But God has amazing things in store for you if you follow him. So the danger is this, that we, um, we follow one of three kind of philosophies, tracks, so to speak. And we find the first one in verse 16 says don't let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or the matter of a feast or new moon or sabbath days so you know don't don't let people judge you you know these are only the shadow of things to come but the reality is christ i mean don't let anyone judge you about feasts, food or drink new moon sabbath days i call this the dutiful i'm going to go three d's here there'll be the dutiful the dreamers and the detached but this is the dutiful this is Kind of religious people, legalists, people that like rules, people that, you know, love performance-based Christianity. This is for the eldest children and families, right? You know, the do-gooders, the rule keepers, right? You know, it's, you're naturally wired for that, right? I'm a middle child, so obviously I don't fall in on this one, you know. <laughs> but uh, some of you get this. And it's really hard for rule keepers to accept God's grace. Because God's grace is this universal extension of his mercy and his love to, to all sorts of horrific people, sinful people like me and like you. And religious people say, no, it can't be. God doesn't, you know, how could a murderer or, you know, someone who's embezzled millions of dollars or someone who's hurt children or, or whatever, you know, how could, how could they find God's grace? And, and the reality is, I mean, even criminals can find the mercy of God if they come to Jesus Christ. But here we have these dutiful people that were coming into Colossae and were like, yeah, you've got Jesus, but let me, let me tell you, you need to add a little bit of this. You know, you're not celebrating the, the new moon or the Sabbath feast or whatever. I mean, we ran into a group like this in the southern Alberta. They, they call themselves um, it's kind of a messianic fellowship, but they had all these practices that they added to it. And that became the essence of their Christianity was this Jewish expression of Christianity. And, and I'm always like, you know, Colossians speaks directly against that. It says that it's not about the, the things you do or keeping the right calendar dates and all that stuff. Now understand, I love traditions. We will celebrate Christmas for four weeks here at New Life and we're, we'll walk into Easter, you know, with, with a series on Jesus. I mean, I, I love the, the Christian calendar, but the Christian calendar does not save us. Christ does. Traditions are good as long as they serve the purpose of drawing us to Jesus, but when we begin to focus more on the tradition than on Jesus, that's when it becomes shipwreck casserole. Some of you grew up in a traditional home. Y- you know what I'm talking about. There were certain things that were held so sacred. And you didn't always understand why they were held sacred, but you just knew you, you had to do them. Th- that, that's when you know you've gotten off a of kilter, because the tradition should point to Jesus. Parents, I just encourage you, as you build traditions in your family, and you should, make sure those traditions point to Jesus. Your Christmas traditions, make sure Jesus is is, is the final destination in whatever you do as a family. That's that's important. But these are the dutiful. And it says in verse 17, that's kind of the, the answer to the dutiful people. These are only a shadow of the things to come, but the reality is Christ. You know, a shadow is created when you shine light on an object. The focus should be the object, not the shadow. If you're hunting and you shoot at shadows, that's not a good idea, right? Because <laughs> you're not shooting at the object. He's like, all these Old Testament things pointed to Jesus. But don't be chasing the shadow. Stay with Jesus. Do you remember that Peter Pan cartoon where, you know, she's trying to a shadow onto Peter Pan? You know, you know, the shadow is elusive, right? You know, and then he's like, don't, don't be chasing shadows. Focus on the object, which is Jesus christ don't be a shadow worshiper that's where the shipwreck casserole lies then he talks about the dreamers in verse verse 18 he says let no one who delights in humility the worship of angels pass judgment on you that person goes on at great lengths about what he has supposedly seen but he is puffed up with empty notions by his fleshly mind Many pages have been written about what was the Colossian heresy. And and no one is in agreement, even the greatest scholars. But what they do know is there's this Jewish element. There was this kind of, you know, this esoteric, you know, this dream, visionary element. These are the dreamers. These are the mystics, the cloud chasers. It's experience-based spirituality. It's very subjective. But someone has it, and they're like, wow, I've got this special vision. And sometimes, you know, I've had these people come to me and say, God told me something. And I'm always curious, you know, I'm like, well, so, so how did God tell you, right? That's, that's kind of the question. If you tell me that, I'm going to say, well, how did God tell you? Because uh, I really believe God speaks through his full revelation in his word. If he's going to give you a, an inclination or sort of a, you know, it's always going to be confirmed by his word. This is the eternal word of God. And so if, some, if God's leading you. It's going to be confirmed by this. If something that you feel God has told you is contradicted in here, then p- God's probably not speaking to you. There are lots of messages in our head and things we think that maybe don't come from God. You have to sort of, you know, look at the Word of God. Is this really God speaking? But these men claim to have these visions from angels, pointing, you know, giving them direction and essentially saying, you know, you're, you're building another shipwrecked casserole with this sort of esoteric, dreamlike, perspective on faith. Uh, It's not just all mystery. There is mystery to God and there's beauty of it. What I find as I read the scriptures is people have incredible experiences, but rarely are they seeking the experience. They're seeking God in that moment of seeking God, they have an experience. You can't script it, you can't prescribe it, you can't predict it, but it happens. And if you've had one of those experiences, it's glorious and chances are you're even afraid to talk about it because it's just so sacred and so special. And so, like, wow, that was just a moment with me and God that, that you're not going to be getting up and, and telling everyone, hey, you guys need to have this experience. The dreamers. Anytime someone tells you you don't have the right experience, uh, you need to kind of just get back to the target and say, where is Christ in their experience? The Scripture is really clear. Everything points to Jesus Christ. Even the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to us, who, who brings healing and, and visions and all that stuff, He is directly he points to Christ. It says that very clearly in Scripture. The Spirit points to Christ. Where's Jesus in that? And these guys were we're, we're introducing intermediaries between you and Jesus. Pray to this angel. And you'll see this. Some of you maybe have ideas about angels because you watched a a show called Touched by an Angel, right? Or that old one with Michael Lennon. What was that one called? Yeah, Highway to Heaven, right? So you have this idea about angels because you saw it, Right? (laughs) And uh, wouldn't it be cool to have Michael Landon by your side, right? I mean, but that, that, that's, that's not biblical, actually. Angels are out there, and they have probably ministered to you in some way or form that you have no idea, but minister- angels always point to Jesus. And anytime I read the Scripture and someone encounters an angel and they start to worship him, they're like, whoa, no, 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 I'm just a messenger. We serve God. So when someone comes along and claims to have some special revelation, Uh, Be careful, these are the dreamers. They're headed towards a shipwreck casserole. (laughs) But look at the answer to that here. Verse 19. He has not held fast to the head, from whom the whole body, supported and knit together through its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that comes from God. The problem with dreamers is, you know, they tend to be spiritual mavericks doing their own thing, commandos, but not part of any platoon, solo kind of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, kind of guys, you know, just, just doing my own thing, you know, uh. and he says, you know, the reality is, we're part of a body for a reason, we're part of a, a local church for a reason, because together we, we, we learn together, we grow together, we're challenged together. Sometimes you have an idea, and you share it, and then someone in the group says, well, doesn't the Bible say this? And then you're forced to reconsider your idea, your thoughts. But when you run on on your own little pathway, way out of the distance, you you don't have the accountability and the support you need from the body, and nor do you have the growth that only comes from God. God's designed us to grow together. Not as solo fighters, but we're, we're in a team together. That comes from God. And then the final one, of course, is is what I call the detached, verse 20. If you've died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you submit to them as though you lived in the world? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish perish with use, founded as they are on human commands and teaching, even though they have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility, achieved by an unsparing treatment of the body, a wisdom with no true value, they... In reality result in fleshly indulgence. The detached or I say the don't do it's, you know, they're the ascetics, the the monks, you know, holy people. It's abstinence based religiosity, right? Just don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Unfortunately for many years Christians were viewed as these type of people. Christians are the people that don't dance, (laughs) You know, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't have fun, you know, <laughs> they don't play sports, you know. I mean, they're, they're, you know, and, and even churches would write into their constitution, you want to be a member? You can't play cards here. And it's like, really? can't play cards? But it's true, I'm, I'm telling you, even in this very city, there was a church that had that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, when you see a holy person that is an ascetic, it does sort of, It is is curious, you know, it brings you curiosity. If you you watch the TV and you see those Buddhist monks living out in the, you know, in the mountain hills and they're shaved heads and they're doing their rituals, you're kind of like, wow, aren't they devoted? Isn't there something about that, you know? And again, shipwreck casserole. Defining our spirituality by what we don't do. That's not biblical. I mean, understand, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's things I don't do but that's, it's not, I'm not doing that to gain God's favor. or not doing that. I'm doing it because I want to please Jesus. I'm doing it because I'm in a relationship with God, and he's like, look, Mike, you're, it's in your best interest to, to not get drunk. So I'm like, okay, I'm not getting drunk. I don't get drunk. I've never gotten drunk. Wh- why? Because God says don't get drunk. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to take your word at, at face value, Lord, and think, you know what's best for me, Jesus, so, so I don't do that. This is to take it a step further and says, you know, if you want God's favor, you can't do that. You shouldn't eat this. You shouldn't touch that. You shouldn't wear this. You shouldn't wear that. And we begin to add all these rules to to our relationship and our faith, and and it it just totally obscures the target, which is Jesus Christ. You start mixing in other ingredients, and it becomes this goulash that no one wants to eat or even look at. There is nothing attractive about that type of creature. However, we do say, you know what, I want to be holy. I want to honor God. I want my speech to reflect a relationship with God. I want, I want my, the, way, the clothes that I wear to, 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 to bring honor to God. I, I, you know, I, I want, you know, the way I work to, to honor God. I mean, we have standards. We have, we, we have things that we do and don't do, but, but it's not, that's not the essence of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Those are the detached. I remember reading this book I have in my library, this man who's, who was raised in India, his father was a holy man. And basically his father just kind of zoned out uh, when he was a kid. He would reach this higher state of consciousness. He was basically a vegetable. People would come and worship his father and bring gifts and he was this incredibly holy man, but he's like, my father never ever talked to me. And then through the course of his life, he came to, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond to it. And basically he got kicked out of his family. But he's like, here my dad was this, this incredible holy man, but I had no relationship with him. And sometimes we look at that and we think, oh, wow, what a, what a spiritual person. But when he discovered Jesus Christ, he discovered something that his family had been missing for years. The detached. He says, in the, rel- in the end result, they don't actually do the trick for you. you know, some of you think, you know, man, if I just could get away from the world, I wouldn't struggle with that anymore. I wouldn't struggle with my shopping habit if I, if I lived in the, in the desert, in the bush somewhere. You know, I... I social media would not be a problem for me if i could just you know get away from it you know or or whatever it is pornography or or you know workaholism wh- whatever your issue is you're like man if i could just you know live you know, on an island somewhere wouldn't it be nice to live in an island but you know if i could just live in an island you know and, and you think oh great you know but you know the, the the desert fathers tried this in in the in the early centuries of church history right and they write and they talk about it. And the one guy's like, yeah, there I was in the desert. No one around for, for miles. And it's just sand and, and, you know, scorpions and just nothing else. And he's like, and in my head, in my head, all I can see are the dancing girls from the town I left before I came to know Jesus. He's like, he's like in my heart and in my head, I've, I've just got these visions. And there I am. I'm escaped from everything. It doesn't work. The aesthetic, detached response doesn't work. Only Jesus Christ talks about dying to ourselves and, and being raised with jesus christ a new life how do you know if you've su- been sucked into one of these worldviews well there, there's several kind of things that describe are typical of these worldviews one is that they're judgmental you know don't let anyone judge you don't let anyone captivate you Don't let anyone, you know, condemn you or disqualify you in verse 18. You know, typically when you encounter this kind of judgmental attitude, you may be outside the target of Jesus Christ. Um, In time when Jesus actually walked on this world. He encountered, there was these people called the the Pharisees. They were the religious people of the day, the the teachers of the law. They knew the Bible. They lived by the Bible. They loved the Bible, but they almost worshipped the Bible more than they worshipped God. And so, and and they were, they were totally distracted. And Jesus actually is the one that that calls them out because every time you did something, they would be there to judge you. Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath, and they're just like, how dare you do that? He's like, "What, what, what are you talking about? You know, your your donkey falls in a hole. You're going to yank it up, and I'm healing this guy's hand on the Sabbath. And, you know, they they just were waiting to criticize and to condemn you. If you came from a church like that or a background like that, you know what I'm talking about. You're off target. We all find ourselves naturally drawn to be critical. And there's nothing wrong with critical thinking. But as I watch people that have centered their life on Jesus Christ, they, they get past that. They understand that everyone's on a journey, but they just keep pointing back to Jesus, and they they let Jesus do the work in people's lives, let the Holy Spirit bring conviction, and they're like, let's just get back to Jesus. They're not going to stand up for your sin or support you in your sinful behaviors, but they're going to just get back to Jesus, get back to the Holy Spirit, get back to the Word of God. These are judgmental. These type of worldviews are also, secondly, they're they're self-regulated. You know, you you get to choose your own kind of, it's like checking off boxes. Well, I want this, I want that, I want that. You kind of, you're making your own religion, right? And and what I find in the scriptures is is there's no self-regulation. There's one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And you line up your life with Jesus Christ. Self-regulated. They're independent of Christ and the body of Christ. They're operating kind of in, in their own little zone. And they jump around, church to church, or maybe no church, because no one is good enough, no one has it all right, no one's figured it out, everyone's got problems. Guess what? Everyone has that problems. <laughs> you won't find a church that doesn't have sinners in it. They're, they're, they're just, it just doesn't exist. And when you show up, then, then you've also made it worse, because you're a sinner. So that's just the reality. There, there is no perfect church out there. And either we grow together, or we just play the, the merry-go-round game our whole lives. And I saw this in, in a major city. I mean, people would, would kind of exhaust the local options and then move to the city next door and start hitting those. Or they would just find a huge church where they could just sit and coast. Independent of Christ. You need to be part of the body of Christ. They're worldly-based and they're humanistic or even demonic, right? It's all, it's all about what you see, what you do, you know. And, and the reality is, this is a spiritual life. And it has physical ramifications, but, but it starts... Our change starts from the inside out. For, for years, Christians thought, well, if we could just clean up the outside, and, and then the inside will follow." No, no, it starts on the inside, and then it goes to the outside. So you're welcome at New Life, even if your life is messed up. You're welcome here, even if you haven't got everything figured out yet. You're welcome here, even if some of the choices you've made maybe don't line up completely with God's word. We're we're just going to bring you back to Jesus and and, and let God do that work in your life. But you don't have to be perfect or cleaned up. And you notice, I mean, you can smoke and come to New Life. It's okay. You know, don't vape inside the room, okay? But, you know, if you want to do that in your car, fine. I don't care. You can wear whatever clothes you want. As long as you've got clothes on, we're good. You know, like, like, this is New Life, right? We're not judging you for that. And we just want you to see Jesus Christ in us. That's all that we care about. That's right, amen. So, and at the end of the day, they're inadequate. It's like, yeah, you know, you can have all these rules and at the end of the day, if your heart hasn't changed, you're still gonna be greedy, you're still gonna overspend, you're still gonna look at pornography, you're still gonna be involved in bad relationships, you're still gonna work too much, you're still gonna do all these things that have tripped you up your whole life until God does that inner change in your heart when you come to Christ you die to yourself, and you rise to new life in Jesus Christ. Only then are you able to move up and out. But we chase in the shadows and the wrong targets. He's like, you know, just beware of these targets on the outside and, and get back onto Jesus Christ. Maybe you grew up in, in some, something like one of these things. The dutiful, the dreamers, the detached. I, I don't know, but I, I'm just saying, get, get past the outside and let's get to the middle. Let's find the, you know, the, the stake you know, it, it's not a shipwreck casserole, no, no. It, it's it's you know a filet mignon that's cooked perfectly. That's what we're going for here. We're gonna throw out the casserole <laughs> and get back to Jesus Christ. So the final, I guess, questions that I would ask you is you know, where are we getting our messages from? Where are you getting your messages from? TV? Facebook, Twitter, Internet, your background, some weird thing you were involved in as a kid. You know, do you understand? I mean, I used to read Archie Comics as a kid, and and I I built a, a, a philosophy of dating on Archie Comics right? It doesn't work that way in real life, right? You can't kiss Betty one day and kiss Veronica the next. It doesn't work, you know? It, it doesn't work, right? And, and, and I thought, is there something wrong with me? Because I'm not kissing Betty and Veronica on the same day like he is. Like, what, you know, what's wrong with me? I, I, you know, I should have a Betty and a Veronica, you know? And, and, it was like, and, and it was totally messed up. And I say that, but, but it's serious. You're getting messages out there. I mean, God's Word is so clear. As we immerse ourselves in it, we'll begin to see The things that we have, you know, eaten and and chewed on and digested and, and, and taken to be true, which aren't true. Your life is not your job. Your job is a portion of your life. Your sexuality is not your identity. It's a portion of your identity. You know, your, your, your family isn't even number one because Jesus needs to be number one. When Jesus is number one, he helps you figure out the family situation. He wants you to be a good dad, a good mom, a good, a good kid. But, but your family is not first. Jesus is first. I mean, we have to think through, where, where have I gotten the message that I, that, that I have in my heart? If I had more money, I, all my problems would go away. No, they wouldn't. If I didn't have to work, I, I'd feel so much better. No, talk to guys that are employed. They'll tell you, it's not a dream we're created to work to be productive how are we filtering the messages we hear how are you filtering that and i would encourage you at times you do need to shut off the tv turn off the phone close down the internet and just be away from that for a little while you need to have seasons where you just defragment from all that stuff and get your focus back on jesus Go up to the lake somewhere, go up to a cabin, go to an island, whatever it is, and, and just tell people, I'm not going to be around for a week, sorry. You know those Apple watches, they seem so cool, but what it is, is it, it, it's, it's like putting a chain around your wrist. Anyone can get you at any time. Yeah, it's really cool when you're working, but take off the watch and put it away. And when you're sitting down with your family, leave your phones off and just be present with each other. How do we respond in a Christ-centered way to the world? We need to be aware of these targets in our own life. And then we have to help others to see Jesus as greater than anything that they have. To point people to Jesus. It's not about being dutiful. It's not about dreaming and visions. It's not about, you know, do, you know don't do it, being detached. It's about Jesus. 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 Pray with me as we close. The team's going to come up, and and we're going we're to lead and have offering. But as we close the sermon, I just want you to think, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, today you can do that. I encourage you to, to surrender your life to Him afresh this morning. If you've been off target in your life, today's a day that you can just say, Lord, help me get back on target. Uh, just keep Jesus number one in, in my life. Father in heaven, all the messages we hear every day around us can sometimes crowd out your still small voice. And so in this moment right now I just pray you would speak to our hearts. Show us where we have missed the mark. Enlarge our vision of Jesus Christ. May he truly be all in all. May he fill us in every way, in every part. And may on account of Christ, we find great satisfaction in our work, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, as as children to our parents. Lord, Christ can be all in all in every area of our life. Lord, if there's anyone here trapped in in religion, trapped in mysticism, trapped in in do-gooderism, Lord, Lord, in, in asceticism, Lord, just remove them from that. Just show them the... Christ can be their own. And help us, Lord, to share this message with our city, with our provinces, with our country, so that your name may be glorified and lifted up here in our city, in our provinces, in our country, in our world. And so, Lord, guide us in this way.